First uh, Samuel 25 and uh, verse 1 says, Now Samuel died, and Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house, in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And that is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so today we get a small break from David and Saul, and we get to focus on Samuel. And uh, the fitting thing is, is that we're brought back to Samuel at his funeral. And the reason why I say that's pretty fitting is because I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I see those that I used to see all the time at funerals. And it makes a lot of sense that Samuel, we haven't seen him in several chapters, and we're brought back, um, we're all brought back at his funeral, and we get to see what plays out there. And today we only have one verse, but uh, there is so much in this one verse. Uh, One of the things that we really enjoy about preaching, I say we, because mostly right now it's myself and Pastor Laramie on, on Sunday mornings, and, and we're, we're working to uh, train more men who are called to, to preach. But uh, one of the things that we really like about our preaching is that we challenge ourselves to be dynamic in our preaching. And what I mean by that is that we are all over the Bible. We preach expository preaching, which is we will go through a letter, but we try to change the types of letters that we preach through. Um, If you notice, we went over a gospel, then we went to an epistle. Every now and then, we'll jump back to a psalm, um, which is a book of wisdom. And here, for the longest time since we began 1 Samuel, we've been in a historical narrative. And so each one of those types of letters, you preach a different way. It helps us to stay fresh, but it also helps you to hear uh, a different type of sermon. And also within each letter, sometimes you're challenged to preach on 50 verses. Pray for me because that's going to be my task next Sunday, somewhere around there. And then some days you're challenged to preach on one verse. And I'll tell you, it's most of the time it's easier to preach on 50 verses than it is one single verse. But uh, originally when I had uh, planned out this sermon, I, I... hadn't I didn't isolate chapter 25 verse 1 it was within the large the larger context and I just couldn't get away from just verse 1 and seeing its importance and it as I read it more the more I thought about it and the more I said no I I have to I have to address this separately because this is uh it's only one verse but it's so much in this one verse to think about learn about pray about reflect upon because this one verse is about life. That's the other part of my challenge today is to preach a general sermon on life. Those usually don't go over well. I remember years ago I preached on the dash between the dates. That was the name of the sermon. It was years and years ago, and I was excited about preaching that. I was like, and I thought I came up with the concept. Later out, I found out that everybody's preached on that sermon and everybody's titled it that same thing. But I got the idea by going to the cemetery and I just that particular day noticed the dash and what that meant I was really excited about preaching about the dash between the dates I thought it was gonna man I thought it was, everybody was gonna be on fire for God after I had finished preaching and I preached that sermon and it seemed like it was over everybody's head everybody was having a hard time staying awake I think but it and that's because it's hard to preach on life it is 
on the, the general concept of life and its ending. And it, it, it's just hard for people to grasp because we have forever in our hearts. And a lot of times we don't think about the end of life until it's near, until we're affected by it. Why? Because we're so busy with everything else. We're so busy with life. And we need to slow down and we need to think about life itself. Who's directing it? Where's it going? What's the purpose of it? Well, providence answers those questions. And so I think this is, we've been talking about providence this whole time. To me, this is the most important sermon of, of them all, of, of those, of the four that I've given on providence, because uh, this is what it boils down to. So scripture has shown us providence of God in directing our steps and also the providence of God in protecting our path. What he calls us to, he's going to protect us in, and also the providence of God in governing our hearts. Well, today we're going to see how God's providence completes his work in us. Uh, the same God who called us to start this work is going to be the same God who's going to make sure we finish it in Christ Jesus, and we'll talk about that. But I, I want you to think about this. This is a, I'm telling you, I'm going to challenge you this morning to really engage your brains and to really think about your life. And, and so I, I hope you're up for that challenge, but I really want you to think about everything that has happened to you and through you. Really think about that as I preach on this. Everything that has happened to you and through you. And then I know the more seasoned you are, the older you are, it's harder for you to think of everything that's happened to you because it's been a lot. And then also you're having to think about things that have happened way, way back when. And um, some, some of those things are painful to remember because they're, they weren't pleasant. In fact, in some of those instances, you're wondering, where was God? So I want you to think about all those things. Think about the good, the bad, the ugly, up until right now. Everything that has happened to you and through you, I want you to know that that's been according to God's foreknowledge, his determination, and direction for your life. Now, even those ugly moments, hard ones, the ones that are just, you can't grasp it to understand them. Even today, they're still, they've scarred you, and, and you're still hurting from that, and you, you can't forget that. Yeah, that was according to God's foreknowledge, determination, and direction for your life. He has worked through your sins. Again, I have to be clear about this. Sin does not originate with God. So God does not cause sin in you. The Bible is very clear that sin comes from us. It is an outpouring of the heart. So we have sin in our hearts. When we sin, it is egregious against God. God hates sin. Let me make that clear as well. But there is one thing about God that we must know is that he has worked through our sins and the sins of others. Also, he has caused us to bear good fruit for his glory and our own good. That's how great he is. He works through our sin, and then he also causes us to bear good fruit for his glory and our good. See, through it all, we have questions about life, though. And in general, we have why. Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to them? We have how. How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to help them through this? 
We have what? What am I going to do? What is going on? What's the answer? We have when. When is this going to stop? When will the Lord, the Lord return? When is someone going to help me? When am I going to get over this? When am I going to finally stop doing this? I, I hate th that I'm doing this. You have where? Where is this all headed? Where's God's purpose in this? See, the answers to those questions can be found in this one verse. They're tied to this one verse, at least, that we just read. So, if I piqued your interest enough, then I've done my job in the introduction. Now pray for me that I can do my job in the body of the sermon. Because we find our answers as we look at three facts within this one verse. Our three facts that are brought out from this one verse. Here are the three facts. Fact number one, life is brief. Life is brief. Fact number two, life has a purpose. And then fact number three, Life is concluding. So life is brief, life has a purpose, and life is concluding. That's what the sermon body will be. Life is brief. Well, the Bible says Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. It's very interesting to see what scholars believe about Samuel. Um, in comparison to us, Samuel lived a long life. In comparison to Earlier biblical figures, it wasn't a long life, but, but this is a time where life was shortened already, and a long life was in the 80s or 90s, and that's where Samuel lived, somewhere in the 80s, maybe even into the late 90s. And the fact that all Israel assembled and mourned for him tells us a lot about his impact on the people around him. Uh, to assemble means to all come together, just like we assemble here at church every single Sunday. So you have this picture of the, 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 the nation of Israel as a nation coming together to assemble, to recognize this person. It's basically his funeral. And so they assemble, they are mourning for him because of the great leader that he was. And when you look at the mourning depicted here by the nation, it is similar to uh, what scripture says about Jacob, about Aaron, and even about Moses. That there's this time where, where the nation needs time to mourn and to get over the passing of a very influential, powerful leader. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. So we're seeing Samuel's body of work and scripture is, is, is categorizing him along with the greats of Israel, Jacob, Aaron, Moses. And if you look in the New Testament, as people reflect on Samuel, everything that people say about him, all the apostles and what they say about him, it, it's all good. How he was a faithful man and how he was a man of God and how he was a man that should, you know, an example that should be followed. So everything, everything that points to his life means he lived a, a good, godly life. And it makes a lot of sense why people are assembling and mourning for him. Now, it is interesting, though, as we look at scripture, that a man who has lived so long compared to us, because if we're able to get 80 or 90 years, uh, that, that would be an accomplishment, right? And so when we look at this and we see this man who is so influential and so loved by the nation, what's interesting is that his life was a blip on the radar, just, just a single blip on the radar. 
80 or 90 years. See, while we are alive, we often think, I have time. I'll have time for that. I, I, I have time or I'll have time for that. And even as we grow older, we know life is coming to a close. We know we, we start to, comp, to contemplate on certain things. But in the back of our mind, there's still this thought of, I still have time. But the number one request of people who are dying and people who are on their deathbed is, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. No one's worried about their house payment on their deathbed. No one's worried about their car payments. No one's worried about kids' college. No one's worried about what they're going to wear tomorrow. No one's worried about if they have makeup on or not. No one's worried about anything like that. It's time. And, and even the Christian wants more time, not that, because the Christian knows once I close my eyes here on this earth, I see God. And that's a great reward, and the Christian knows that, but yet in the back of the Christian's mind, there are some things that they wanted to accomplish, or maybe some things they wanted to see, wanted to do. And so there's this reflection of, I, I wish I had more time so I could do more of God's good work. Even Paul had that struggle. The, 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 as he got towards the end of his life, it, there was a struggle. I, I, I want to be with the Lord, but I, I know I need to be here. I know I'm needed here. And so as a person lays on their deathbed, it's, I wish I had more time. Time is fleeting, slowly but surely, and that's what makes it hard for us to grasp. And that's why some these sermons about life just go over our heads because we, are, are, we, we need to really think that we do not have a lot of time. In other words, we need to be urgent about our lifestyle. There needs to be some urgency in us as we live life. James 4, 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We all know that verse. In the back of our minds, it's there, but we're like, no, I, I have time. It, it reminds me of a time when we were, we took a vacation and we were in the middle of the ocean. And I was out there just looking at the ocean, looking at the sun go down. And if you've never been out in the ocean, it, it's, it's, it takes some while to get used to because there is no land. It just, I don't want to ruin it for you, but that's, I, spoiler alert, there is no land when you get out in the ocean. So when you're looking, it's all just the vastness of water. It's beautiful, especially sunrise, sunset, you go out and you look and it's just, just water everywhere. But one thing I notice is that as I'm looking down at the water, I start to see these waves. And if you look at the waves, you can see just billions or trillions, as far as your eye can see, just waves throughout the ocean. And depending on the wind and depending on where the moon is, the bigger the waves get. But in this particular day, they were like ripples. And so as, as the ship is moving, it would cause the water to have waves. And one thing I notice is that as the ship is moving and the, creating waves, these waves are just like, you see them start, and as soon as they start, they're done. They disappear to give room for another 
ripple to go along and then to give room for another one and for another one. And it's just this continuous cycle of birth and death of a wave. And, and, you, and you start to see it before you. And I, I start that and I just stared at it and I just contemplated and I thought, man, that's how we are. One wave after another. As soon as it's born, it's done. And so the next one begins. And so the next one begins. And I thought, wow, the, the minuteness of a wave within the vast ocean is just, it's mind-blowing to, to see that and to contemplate that and to think about that's how our life is in the history of humanity, within the history of humanity. Psalm 39 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. I think we need to know that. We need to have that on our minds. We need to be reminded every single day that the life that we have on this earth will end. And so David prays. He says, oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. It says, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. That's what David prays about and says about concerning life in Psalm 39. See, we are eternal creatures, but our days on this earth are numbered. And guess what? The life we live now determines our eternity. So, yes, we're eternal creatures. There's life after death, but the life we live now matters a lot. That's the way God has set it up. That means what we do in this life matters most. When you are young and well, it seems that you have so much time. But the time you do have, well, that's all you get. And that's something we don't realize when we are young and well. We think, oh, I have all the time in the world. I remember back in the 90s, when I was a teenager, Nike had this, uh, this, this commercial. And let's see how many of you will remember it. I, I know Brother Nathan, Pastor Laramie, I'm looking around all these 90 babies. You know, there were teenagers around the 90s at least. But Nike had this program or this, 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 this saying, and it said, uh, uh, life is short, play hard. Y'all, do you all remember that? Yeah, life is short, play hard. Right. So you have the whole concept is you have these athletes in front of you and they're playing this commercial and it's it, they're playing basketball. They're giving it all. They're sweating. They're just pour, pouring themselves into uh, this this sport, whatever it is. And I remember I always liked those commercials. I even had the shirt. Life is short. Play hard. Right. With the Nike swoosh and everything. And, and I'm not I'm not representing Nike, by the way, but I just remember the commercial itself. But now, as I think about it, it's like I, I used to eat that up and go outside and play basketball and, and play football and, and just play, 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 play. And now I'm thinking a whole lot differently. I'm thinking life is short. Pray hard. It's no longer play hard, but pray hard. I, I put up the ball. I put up the basketball. I put up the football. Every now and then I bring it out just because I have a teenager in the home. But I put that stuff up. Because that stuff is for a time, and what I really need to do instead of play hard is to pray hard. Samuel's days 
were numbered. But one thing I know about Samuel is that his days were counted faster than he realized. How do I know that? Because we're the same way. We know our days are numbered, but we do not realize how fast they are being counted. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want, to, I want to remind us, this is what was written. In due time, Hannah conceived, Hannah was his mom, and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. For those of y'all who have been here since we started Samuel, do y'all remember that verse? Right? It's just like yesterday. Just like yesterday, we read that verse. Now I want to take you to our verse today. 24 chapters later, now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. That's how quick life is. Here today, gone tomorrow. For many of you, I don't have to remind you of that. As I look around this room, I see many people who have lost someone that they've loved. I think it's all, it's affected us all. Death has affected us all. Don't forget the brevity of life. We must never forget that. This is not our home. We're wanderers in the desert. We're traveling home. And the way we get there is through death. But thank the Lord that he has defeated death. So when you look at Samuel's life, just like that, a life was lived and a life was complete. In, in comparison to many, he lived to 80 or 90 years old. Gone just like that. He was but a vapor. So we know life is short or life is brief, but we also must know that life has a purpose. We cannot celebrate Samuel's life without noticing the purpose of God in his life. Uh, as fast as he came into scripture, that's how fast he left. But the years in between his birth and his death is where God's providence is seen. One thing I want you to know is that it wasn't about Samuel. Now, originally, when, when the, the book of or 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were written, they were originally one book. Uh, it wasn't until later where they split them up because there were so many chapters. If you put them together, there's 55 chapters within that one book. So that's why, you know, when we, we're, we're going to preach through it, we're going to preach through both books because it's really one continual book. But I want you to think about this. Samuel starts off at the very beginning, seems to be the main figure of the book. In fact, it's named after him. Samuel is dead by chapter 25. Well, there's 55 chapters. So Samuel didn't even make it halfway through the book. And then also, we'll go over it here in a little bit, He's not even in every single chapter. So it's as if God is saying, hey, this is about something greater. This is about something bigger. It's, it's a reminder that he gives us, every single one of us, about our, even about our own life. Your life is not about you. It's about something greater, something bigger. You're serving a greater purpose. But in order to understand what God's providence accomplished with Samuel, we need to look at the highlight of his life. His mother Hannah was barren and she prayed for a son. She vowed to give him to the Lord if he answered her prayer. And guess what? He did. As a boy, Samuel was given to the priest 
to, and he was made a priest himself to faithfully minister to the Lord in the temple. Also as a boy, the Lord spoke to Samuel. He became a prophet for the nation of Israel. Samuel even became Israel's leader. He was God's last judge. As a judge, he was not a king, but he ruled over the nation. And he was the very last one of the judges. Even for a time, Samuel was Israel's military leader. Samuel anointed Israel's first king and spoke judgment against Israel's first king when the kingdom was torn from him because of his sin. Samuel also anointed David as Israel's future king and helped protect him for a time. You see, from everything that we see in Scripture, Samuel was a faithful servant. But notice that Scripture hasn't mentioned him since chapter 19. We haven't talked about him since chapter 19, and even then, it was very short. That's because Samuel lived in obscurity for many, many years. And not because he had failed God in any major way, or because... Um, you know, he, he had this great sin that he committed and God was, was punishing him for that sin or disciplining him for that sin. No, he, was, he lived in obscurity because others failed God, mainly Saul. So Saul's sin made him live in obscurity. See, as God's prophet, priest, and judge, Samuel was God's representative to Saul and also to the nation of Israel. Everybody looked to him. Well, what did Israel do? The nation rejected God when they asked for a king, and Saul rejected God when he sought his own glory over God's. And as a result of that, God removed his spirit from Saul, and he also removed his prophet. He removed Samuel from Saul and the people. So Samuel lived, served, and waited in Ramah. He waited for God to give him direction. So I'm not talking about in a matter of weeks, months. This is year, year after year after year. Samuel is just waiting there. I'm wondering what those years were like for Samuel. I'd like to compare it to like for Moses. It's almost it's it's really similar how they began. Moses was in the palace. He killed the Egyptians. He ran away. He was in the desert for 40 years. He thought, well, this is where I'm going to die. This is what I'm going to do. Samuel, same thing. All this wonderful stuff happened to him. I mean, think about this. God spoke to him, not just through like like he speaks to us through his word. It was through his word, but it was an audible voice that he heard. He was a prophet for God. He ruled over Israel as a judge. He led them as their military leader. All these wonderful things had been done through Samuel. And then it was as if he was put on a shelf. It was as if he was going into retirement, so to speak. I wonder what he felt. I wonder what he thought. I wonder how he felt about what God was doing. You know, when stuff like that happens to us, we, we, we think we know better than God and we start to give God our, in our prayers, we start to give God our own ideas. Hey, did you think about this, God? Did you contemplate this? Have you considered this? 
I wonder what he said to his family. He had a wife, he had sons. And oh, by the way, remember his sons? His sons were nothing like their dad. They were rebellious. But I wonder if his sons threw that in his face. They're like, you see the guy that you serve? Like, what is he doing with you now? Anytime there's an opportunity for that, the devil takes a foothold of that. I, I wonder what he prayed to God for. I'm sure a man of his calling, of his gifting, and his importance struggled with the way God was using him or where God had him in life. We've all been there. We've all been frustrated with our circumstance. A part of me, as I was thinking about this, I don't even know why I thought about Greek mythology as I'm thinking about it, but uh, the one character in Greek mythology is Sisyphus that comes to mind. I'm always thinking about Sisyphus because it's like, it's like pushing that boulder up the hill, right? And, and so in Greek mythology, you have Sisyphus who is, who is punished by Zeus to eternally push a boulder up the hill. And, and just when it's about to make it to the top, the boulder comes right back down. And he has to run back down and push it back up the hill, and it just rolls back down. I think about Sisyphus and I think how that's man's vain attempt to understand the struggles in life. And the reason why I say it's man's vain attempt is because without grace, struggles can only be punishment. Think about that. Without God's grace, struggles are only punishment. But the Bible turns struggles around for us. And it tells us something different about struggles. It, it, the Bible tells us, and, and we know that's God's word, God is saying to us, there is a purpose to your struggle. There is a purpose. Like you're not, being, you're not struggling just to be punished for something because all feel the burden of the curse. But if you are in Christ, that means you are redeemed. Therefore, not only do you feel the burden of the curse, you also have the grace of God to help you stand under it. So it doesn't, it doesn't make you escape the burden. It doesn't make you escape the struggle. It doesn't make you escape the pain. But it helps you to stand under it. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. There's the picture of the struggle, and then there's a grace of God for us to be able to stand under it. See, with Samuel, so much happened so fast, and then he had to wait. Waiting is so hard sometimes. With others, we have to start off waiting, and then so, so much happens so fast. It's either front-loaded or back-loaded. But no matter what, we're either doing something or we're waiting, and waiting is doing something. It's funny that when we're waiting, we wish something would happen. You ever think about that? When you're sitting there waiting, you wish something would happen. It's like when you 
uh, you, get in, you, you, have, you have in mind a vacation that's coming, and you, want, you can't wait to go to vacation, right? And so you, you're on vacation, and what are you thinking about day four, day five? I wish I was back home, right? I mean, vacations are great, but about towards the end, you're like, I'm ready to be back in my own bed. I'm ready to be back in my own home. I'm ready to be there. It's, it's a, the same thing. I know some kids might disagree with that, but I know the adults can say amen to that. But it's like the same thing. While we're waiting, we wish something would happen. Something happens, and then we wish things would wait. I'm sure Samuel had questions. I'm sure he asked why, how, what, when, where. But I'm also sure that as he waited, this is what he found. He found contentment. That's what he found. And notice, it's, there's this mentality of how, you know, that we're not supposed to go through any emotions while we struggle through stuff. That we're not supposed to go through pain. We're not supposed to cry. We're, not spo- we're, we're to find joy in all these things and walk around like nothing is bothering us. I'm sorry, but that's not the goal. Joy is found in contentment. Joy is found in trusting. Joy is found in, in, is found in knowing there is a higher power, knowing that there is a God who's going to take care of you through the struggle, through the circumstance. So when you look at it, it's not about just having this emotion and faking it to make it, because we, that's, that's what it translates to us, for, to us. But he found contentment. Isn't that the point of waiting? To find contentment in where God has you and to find trust in his providence? To me, that's, that's the whole point. That causes and that, that promotes sanctification in us. One of the things that I wanted to do my whole life is I've always wanted to travel the world ever since I was a little kid. I would just think about that all the time. And as I got older, I I, I wanted to travel. I wanted to travel, and that was one of the things that that just was on my heart all the time. And my wife laughs at me because one of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life, George Banks. Remember? I'm going to see the world. That's what he was thinking. What is it? Oh, what's the name? George Bailey, thank you. George Bailey. George Bailey wanted to see the world. And he never got to see the world. Right? He was stuck in his hometown helping people. He was was stuck there as long as people needed the help. And it took all his life. And I, I, I laugh at that movie because I, I think to myself, like, I wanted to travel the world. But the world that God has caused me to travel, I have gone from, I was born in Quirrell, Texas. I left the big metropolis city of Quirrell, Texas. And God moved me to a bigger city, Port Lavaca, Texas. And I went to high school there. Thank God I went there because I met my wife there. And then I moved from Port Lavaca, Texas. There were some other small places in between, but from Port Lavaca, Texas, the Lord called us into ministry, and we moved to the, to the huge, biggest city I've ever lived in, Victoria, Texas. 
And then we lived in Victoria, Texas for a long time, had most of our kids there, all except for one. And then to have our last child, God took us to Inez, Texas. That's the world. That's my world traveling there. I have seen the Golden Crescent. And I, I think about that now. It's been, a, it's been a journey. But as I sit and contemplate life from the patio of my home in Inez, Texas, I have found contentment. And it, it hasn't been without me complaining, believe me. It hasn't been without me asking God all those same questions. Why, how, what, when, where? The contentment I've found has been by the grace of God. I have found it by, and I need you to understand, I need you to listen carefully. I have found contentment by understanding God's purpose and trusting his providence. I'm going to repeat that because that's really important. We find contentment by understanding his purpose and trusting his providence. If, if we need to remember that. Understanding his purpose leads you to trust his providence. What is his purpose? God has told us from the very beginning to the very end, I am seeking my glory and your good. That's his purpose. In general, that's his purpose. I'm seeking my glory and out of my glory, your good comes. So think about that. The good, bad, and ugliness of life. Understand that through all of that, God is seeking his glory and the product of his glory is your good. So understand that that's his purpose through everything you go to. And once you understand that that's his purpose and he's accomplishing that, no matter what happens to you, then you can trust his providence because he will do what he has said There is great contentment to learn from a lot of different things. And that's essentially what Paul was getting at in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That, that's powerful. How did he come to that? He came to understand God's purpose, so then therefore he trusted in his providence. He said, if God has brought me to this, if he's brought me through this, then it must be for his glory and my good, and I'm just going to trust his providence. See, Paul found contentment in all things because he knew God's purpose and he trusted his providence. And we know that godliness with contentment is great gain. How about you? 
If the answer for you is no, pastor, I have not learned. I have not learned those things. I, I, I have not learned his purpose and I, I don't trust his providence. Then you must realize that you must come to know his purpose. And you come to know his purpose through his word. It, it all takes us back to his word. You come to know his purpose through his word and you come to trust his providence through his mercies. They, they, they add up together. There's mercies that are found in everything that we go through. What you need is that you need more struggle. You need more heartache. You need more waiting. You need those things because God is refining you through all of those things. There is a purpose to life. And then lastly, life is concluding. Providence is God's foreknowing, determining, and directing all things towards the purpose for which he created them. That means your life has an ultimate purpose and a definite end. I want you to think about providence as a funnel. Um, one of the, I, I really enjoy mowing my lawn, but one of the things I don't like about my lawnmower is putting gas in there. I'm very impatient, and I just want to open up the gas can and just pour it in there. I wish it would just like magically just go in there, fill it up, throw it down to the ground, and get going. But what happens a lot of times is, especially I bought a new gas tank, and it's this nice big metal one, but when you pick it up to pour it out, it just sloshes everywhere. It gets all over the lawnmower and everything else. So one thing that I've had to train myself is I have to put a funnel. I put the funnel in. The bigger funnel works better. Put the big funnel in, and then I'm able to just pour the gas in. Everything flows into one specific spot. It's very controlled. I think of God's providence in that way. I think of God's providence as a funnel. There's parameters, and it's all flowing to a definite end. It's a, there's an ultimate purpose and a definite end. And the Bible talks about this too, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the ultimate purpose, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the definite end. Think about your life right now. Consider everything that has happened and everything that is happening to you now. Are these things narrowing your focus on God and his will? Because that's what they should be doing. If you're thinking in the right, if you have the right mentality, if you're thinking the things of God, you're, you're feeling understanding, experiencing all that life has to give you, knowing the purpose of God and trusting his providence. If you are doing that, then everything that is happening to you is flowing towards God. The more you live, the older you get, the more you mature spiritually, everything comes back to the Lord. Your focus is on him more and more every single day. Are you, is your focus on him and his will? to understand his purpose, and to trust his providence. How are you being faithful to God where he has you today? Because just, if you're just like me, and I know you are, not everything that you have hope has come to pass. But it's not about that. It's not about what we get in life. It's about us being faithful. So are you being faithful to God where you are at today? How are you not being faithful? What can you do to grow spiritually from that 
So I thought about, I tried to think about everybody in our church, and I started thinking about everything that everyone is dealing with, and I know I didn't get everything here, but I wanted to put down some, some of the situations that are going on here so that you can see that through these things, God has a purpose, and he's working everything towards a definite end. So the things that we suffer, the broken marriage, or the marriage that is breaking, the sick baby, the frustration of life, the ongoing depression, the stress of a job, the fears for your children, the pain of a disease, the loss of a loved one, the emptiness of feeling alone, the uncertainty of tomorrow, the the aches and pains of just living through life, the loneliness that comes from abandonment. All that has a purpose. All of it. God began a work in you. I don't know, for many of you, you can remember that experience. Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you were an adult. But you came to know the Lord. He began a work in you. And maybe it's many years later, and you're just not where you thought you'd be. I'm here to tell you, you're exactly where the Lord has you. And you're going to go exactly where he leads you. And I want you to know, just like Samuel, maybe you began strong out of the gates and all this stuff was happening and, and, and now you're waiting. Well, maybe you waited and now all this stuff is happening and your life is just chaos. Either way, God is going to finish his work. Paul says confidently in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's something that we need to always think about. The Lord is the Lord of our lives. There's purpose to his providence. We need to trust it even when we can't understand it. I hope that was helpful for you. Again, it's not easy preaching a sermon like that. But I hope in that you were able to see the truths of God and experience his mercies. And uh, I just pray that the Holy Spirit continues to speak to your hearts about your life now. Because what we do here matters most. Let's pray.